Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Welcome, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program anywhere nationwide. Now, Jim called in in the last segment and had some phone issues, and he is back. I want to start with this call. Jim, welcome. Sorry about that. Not a problem. Oh, perfect call now. Phone quality sounds good. Okay, great. Listen, uh, a very unsettling, I learned an unsettling thing about these bank failures, like Silicon Valley Signature and others. Medium-sized companies are very vulnerable because they're not big enough to spread their money around, so they have to concentrate it in one or a few banks, and they're in trouble if the bank goes under. My question is, is there any way to set up either private insurance or government insurance to where they're protected the way individuals are protected through the FDIC? Well, so these these businesses are protected as well through the FDIC, but only up to $250,000 like yeah. individuals. Um, they probably need to consider something like that, although uh, the FDIC and Janet Yellen are essentially saying now they're going to protect all depositors. Ireland has done this, by the way. Yeah, I know. Ireland, uh, several years in 2009, because of the financial crisis, then decided to go to total uh, protection and it requires fees and payments. And the result is that banking in Ireland has gotten more expensive because it's not actually a taxpayer subsidy, which I honestly didn't know that until a couple of weeks ago with the Silicon Valley Bank thing. Uh, The taxpayers per se do not cover this. Uh, the FDIC charges banks fees like insurance and uses that money. Uh, it's based on the values of accounts and the like, up to $250,000. Well, there is spillover effect to the taxpayers if too many banks fail now because uh, the fees have been set for $250,000. It's going to make banking more expensive if we want to do complete protection. We, we, I, I understand. So I, here's the problem. I don't think we should bail out depositors above the $250,000 rate. And I say this with some friends listening who have money, had money in Silicon Valley Bank. And I say this as someone who knows people whose companies had lots of money in Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. The reason I don't think we should is because we set the parameters of the rule. The rule was up to $250,000. And if you're going to change the rule after the fact, the rule is meaningless and it creates moral hazard. And what we saw with Silicon Valley Bank is a lot of really smart people who want you to know they're smarter than you and me and their businesses put 100% of their money in that bank, and that bank ignored all the risks. In fact, we now know, in hindsight, based on reporting from the Wall Street Journal, that the red flags and red alarms and red alerts started going off at Silicon Valley Bank, that their risk assessments were failing, and so they changed the model on which they based their risk assessments so that they didn't have to change how they were handling and managing risk. There will be regulations that come out of this, and I suspect one of those regulations will be notice to depositors about risk modeling if they change their risk model. Now, here's an argument in favor 
of insuring all the depositors, and it's this. Citibank, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, they're going to become too big to fail, and too many companies are going to put their money there, and it will reduce the uh, small banks in this country and midsize and regional banks in this country and will create an oligopoly financially in this country that will work against the average American. Bank rates and charges and fees have already gone up too much for the average person. Uh, You ensure that only five banks can survive, uh, that becomes a problem unless we try to do something to continue to encourage and incentivize mid-sized and small banks. I do kind of think we got to consider to encourage mid-sized and small banks, but mid-sized and small banks as well need to manage their risk better. Silicon Valley Bank screwed that up completely. And it shouldn't be on the taxpayers to deal with their screw-up because if the taxpayers deal with it, other banks have the incentive to do what Silicon Valley Bank did on the argument that, well, the government bailed them out. They're going to have to bail me out too. Such a bad thing to get into. Moral hazard begets moral hazard. Now, let's see. Pierce, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Pierce, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for taking my call, Eric. Sure. Um, Yesterday afternoon, I got a phone call from the Republican National Committee. You're going to get a kick out of this. So they call me. They say, well, Mr., you know, mispronounced my last name. I give them grace. And they go, we're so thankful for all you've done for Republican Party, blah, blah, blah. I go through this. And they send in, you know, they go through that spiel, that introductory spiel. And then she says, and we were just wondering, who are you supporting in the 2024 presidential campaign? And I went, Ron DeSantis. Dead silence for about 15 seconds. Um, well, um, well, that's really good. I think, um, um, well, Ron DeSantis would, would do well when, as the president. He, uh, you know, I'm like, really? I'm like, are you just so all in for Trump that you can't accept people don't want him anymore? And, you know, you were wondering about candidates. How are they going to, how do they soak, how do they take some of the air out of the Trump balloon, and when Ron DeSantis does declare, one of the first things he should do in an advertisement is say, hi, I'm Ron DeSantis. I'm the governor of Florida. Give give a little bit about what he's done. He says, and you know, as your president, I want to be your president. And as your president, I won't be, when I get in the White House, there won't be indictments and court dates waiting on me. So I will be able to focus totally on what America needs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just feel like the, the they're not going to get any money out of me until I know who the Republican candidate. Well, so so Pierce, I'm I'm wondering who it actually was that was calling you, uh, in large part because that's actually not something the RNC generally does. But I wouldn't put it past an outside campaign entity to say it's the RNC making the phone call hmm. or, or some Republican entity. The, the RNC doesn't do that sort of uh, polling. Now, it could be the first time, but you are literally the first person I've ever heard from who said it was the RNC doing the call. Uh, My guess is there are a couple of super PACs out there that are named something like the RNC, like one of them I think was National Republican Committee or something as opposed to Republican National Committee. 
and it probably is one of those groups that's doing it. Uh, and yes, probably a, a super PAC that is designed to support Donald Trump and to sound very official, like it's the official Republican Party doing it. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm not doubting you that it happened. I am doubting though that it actually was the RNC doing it. Okay. Um, I got I got one thing. But I, I love, make you by smile the way, over. that the guy was flummoxed when you said DeSantis. Yes. I got one thing I want to make you smile with today. All right. I was on Interstate 985 the other day, uh, last week, car going 62 miles an hour in the left lane in oh. a 70-mile-an-hour speed limit. Oh, you want to smile? State trooper got behind them, and they didn't move over. Oh. Guess what? Pulled them over. And that people blew their horns, and horns when he stepped out of his car. People blew their horns and were giving him thumbs up, and he's nodding his head and smiling. <laughs> Good. That man is a hero. That man is a hero. It is, it is happening. Okay. Now, now that you bring it up here, so I'm I'm headed to my office today, and I yeah. get on the interstate behind somebody who literally stops at the end of the entrance ramp to look to see if traffic oh, is coming. wasn't it Wasn't an nuts. old person. I know it was not an old person. I tend to show more grace when it's a senior citizen. Was not. Literally, I mean, stops. So we got to hey. wait. We got to accelerate. And uh, my gosh, they got into the left lane and did not do more than 60 miles an hour. I drive a big truck. And my principal rule is on the interstate, if I'm in the right lane and I see a car coming down the ramp, I slow down to give them the gap ahead of me. Mm -hmm. You will not believe how many people see that big truck and start hitting their brakes. Uh huh. And the minute I hit my accelerator, because they're already even with me to accelerate, they do the same thing and wind up on the shoulder of the road. And then they flip me off when they come around me. Yep. Uh, it's people, people do not know how to, and it's, uh, look, I mean, driving was bad before COVID, but during lockdown, it's like people totally forgot how to manage the road. I see so many bad drivers and I, I will. So I, I let me confess And Pierce. I'll let you go there, but I, I do. I, I want to confess something. I got in a bad habit of just as notifications would come on my phone looking. And I finally like, this is, this is stupid. Uh, you're going to get in a wreck. It's against the law. You shouldn't be looking at your phone at all. And I lock up my phone, and I am way more mindful of how awful people drive. My wife has a Harley. I think a lot of you know my wife has a Harley. And she tells me that I may notice bad driving, but her on a motorcycle really notices bad driving. Because if I get sideswiped by someone, I'm probably not going to die. And she would, so she's got to be extra careful. And she says the, the amount of people you see who are doing stupid things when they drive, like, for example, she saw someone the other day literally reading a book on the interstate, had the book between their hands at, at uh, what, um, at two and, and ten on the steering wheel holding the book in place while they read while they're driving last night. So I'm, I'm filling in for Ben Shapiro, too, and... Uh, his his show requires guest host pre-record, so I was at my office last night till about ten o'clock and was headed home. Was in the left lane in Georgia. You can go up to ten miles over the speed limit. I wasn't, but I was going probably eight miles over the speed limit. Had my cruise control on, and all of a sudden it just slows down and slows down and slows down and slows down. Guy in front of me, exactly dialed in seventy miles an hour, and you could see the bright light of his cell phone on his steering wheel, like this guy is text messaging. So I move over into the right lane to try to go around him, and the dude accelerates to, it had to have been 90 miles an hour, 
and I start to come up on an 18-wheeler, and I move back into the left lane, and my car has got that stupid adaptive cruise control in it, and it just slows, slows, slows. Guess who? It's that guy again, texted on his phone again, and I try to move over, and I get almost around him. Like, I am just on the verge of getting back into the left lane, and the guy floors it and shoots past me. I'm like, this is this is stupid. This is insane. I also, can I tell you my budgetary revelations about the United States of America from my driving? <laughs> I had this, like, epiphany the other day as I was driving because I was coming around a curve on the interstate, and I was doing, I normally set my cruise control, 78, 79, in a 70, uh, if I'm doing 65, I'll set my cruise control 72, 73. Within 10 miles of the speed limit in Georgia, local police can't use their radar detector to pull you over. They give you some measure of good grace. And every state trooper I've ever talked to in Georgia says the fact of the matter is there's a natural flow of speed on an interstate. And if you're speeding, as long as you're not doing excessively, they're not going to pull you over. They're going to pull the guy over who's speeding past you when you're speeding because that guy's cause of the wreck or the person who's going extraordinarily slow that everybody's having to weave around. That guy's going to get pulled over because traffic on every road ever built has a natural flow. That makes a lot of sense. But so there's a super speeder law where I live in Georgia. If, if you go over 85 miles an hour, in addition to your speeding ticket, it's a $2,000 fine. Now, I don't ever drive that fast. But the other day I was driving, and there was a guy in front of me, and he was going like 65 in the left lane. And I come up on him, and my adaptive cruise control starts to slow down. And so I get over, and the guy starts to speed up. But he's not speeding up significantly. He's just speeding up a little bit, like getting up to the legal speed limit. And there's a car in the right lane. So I floor it to go around him. And I look down, and I'm like doing 90 to get around this guy real quick before this other car comes up. I thought, you know what? If if there was a state trooper there, a local police right there, I'd get a super speeder ticket because I didn't have a margin, a cushion of flexibility in the speed limit that I was driving because I was right on the nose to begin with. So I didn't have any flexibility really and could have gotten nailed by police. And, I, and for some reason, I was listening to, to something on the radio or podcast, which I rarely do, and they were talking about the budget stuff. And I thought, you know what? This is exactly like our, our debt for the nation. We have so much debt. If China or something does something and we got to build up real quick, we don't have a, any sort of cushion. We don't have any leeway to put our foot on the accelerator because we're so in debt. We've indebted ourselves so much. We just don't have the resources and ability to swing around. It's just absolutely insane. Um, I really genuinely um, had that epiphany while I was going blazing faster than ever on the speed on the interstate to get around a slowpoke. Please, for the love of God, if you're listening to me in a car right now and you are in the left lane, the far left lane, the fast lane, and people are swerving to get around you, get out of that lane. You're not supposed to be there. And God bless that state trooper who enforced the law. Hi there. I hope you're doing well. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I do want to talk a little raw politics when we get back. But before I do that, I've got two things I just want to share with you, one of which, and I'll probably play it again tomorrow, but I just every year on Holy Thursday like to play this from the theologian, from the preacher, Alistair Begg. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? 
If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Angel. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, "I never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, "The man on the middle cross said, I can come.'" <laughs> now. Now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And at Covenant Presbyterian Church, they're singing the doxology after the tragedy there. Christian Hope. Greetings, conversationalists around the country. It is Eric Erickson here with your dose of insider knowledge about 2024 or thereabouts. Um... Michael Crichton, you know Michael Crichton, the famous author, he had something he called the Gell-Mann amnesia effect. This is what Michael Crichton himself uh, described it as. Uh, briefly stated, the Gell-Mann amnesia effect is as follows. He's talking about his friend, uh, Murray Gell-Mann, a famous particle physicist. It says, you open the newspaper to an article on some subjects you know well, in, in Murray's case, physics, in mine, show business. You read the article and see the journalist has absolutely no understanding of either the facts or the issues. Often, the article is so wrong, it actually presents the story backwards, reversing cause and effect. I call these the wet streets cause rain stories. The paper's full of them. In any case, you read with exasperation or amusement the multiple errors in a story and then turn the page to national or international affairs and read as if the rest of the newspaper was somehow more accurate about Palestine than the baloney you just read. You turn the page and forget what you know. The Gell-Mann amnesia effect. You read the newspaper or you listen to the newscast and you believe everything is true except for that issue on which you have expertise. And then you're like, wait a second, they're getting all of this wrong. And you don't stop to think, if they're getting all the stuff wrong about the stuff I know about, how right are they in the stuff I don't know about? So for example, uh, Chris Saliza, no longer at CNN, I believe, he, he's notorious uh, conveyor of bad conventional wisdom. 
He is circulating a story at NBC News about how the DeSantis 2024 campaign strategy is to focus on a delegate count against Trump, not try to rack up early victories in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. You will recall the stories from the same outlet at NBC News complaining that Ron DeSantis and his team don't talk to the press. So if Ron DeSantis and his team do not talk to the press, how does the press know the inside story of Ron DeSantis and his team. I was thinking about this because of a news outlet called Puck News. Puck, P-P-U-C-K. And I subscribe to that outlet. And I subscribe to that outlet because they got a reporter there who I knew at CNN, pretty good reporter, who I've always thought had good sources out in Silicon Valley. And they've also got Peter Hamby, who I knew at CNN, uh, who's a younger guy, as cynical about politics as me, I think does a good job of covering it uh, and has for some time. And and the whole idea of Puck News is that you take a few reporters who have great sources and you allow them to write stories using their sources and you feel like an insider. You have some level of insider knowledge. And I was like, oh, this is good. I, I, I'm I'm actually I curious about Fox News and CNN, having worked at both, have a friend, lots of friends at both, and and hopeful for the future of CNN with Chris Licht. I, I'd like to see a news outlet that really actually does news and not just left wing commentary. Uh, so I I subscribe, but I, I get their political stuff too. And I'm reading stuff like the other day. Uh, there was a reporter there who was openly speculating on. Uh, perhaps DeSantis has chosen not to run in 2024. Maybe DeSantis is going to put it off until 2028. And it's it's legitimate speculation. No, the hell it's not. I happen to have insider knowledge here about what he's doing. And I assure you, if you are openly speculating that it is credible to think DeSantis may put off until 2028, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. And so I'm like, this is the Gelman amnesia effect. Am I am I reading these guys who I, I sort of know and, and I respect their careers? And are they just making stuff up because these people claiming DeSantis isn't going to run, clearly are. And then there was another story from another Puck News uh, political reporter who claims to have some sort of uh, Trump, be a Trump whisperer. That's what the ads say, a Trump whisperer. Writing about DeSantis using some outside consultants. And I'm like, this consultant clearly got passed over for a job and has an extra grind. He does not know what the hell this this. Uh, consultant is talking about, has no idea what he's talking about. He claims to have some depth of knowledge, and I assure you he does not. Like, for example, this NBC News story circulating that, well, actually the DeSantis campaign internal strategy for 2024 is to really not even make a huge play for the early states. They don't think they can outdo Trump's ground game efforts, so they're going to just try for a delegate count with the RNC and rack up delegates against Trump and maybe take it to the convention. That's not true. I assure you that's not true. And this gets to the larger issue here. Increasingly in Republican politics at the national level, 
Republican candidates for office are not talking to CNN. They're not talking to NBC. They're not talking to Politico. What you're getting is outsiders from campaigns who are perceived to have connections to the campaigns. I am one of the people. I know I'm one of the people because I regularly talk to the reporters. They call me and say, what are you hearing? And there are times where I can tell them what I'm hearing. There are very many times I cannot tell them what I am hearing. When you don't have access to the people surrounding DeSantis or Pence or Haley or Tim Scott or any of the others, it's hard to know what's going on. Now, there's a danger here as well for the candidates, and it's a danger you should be mindful of. And that is when the candidate isn't talking to any of these reporters and doesn't trust any of these reporters, the reporters are still going to put out a story. And in doing so, they're going to rely on on people who may not actually have the insidery knowledge, may say things the campaign wishes weren't said, and they come across as having some level of insider knowledge. What the campaign can do is aggressively go after the reporter and the reporter sources. What the campaign can also do is find a few reporters the campaign trusts. And because you trust these reporters, you build up the careers of these reporters, and the reporters tend to actually develop a relationship with you where they're not going to burn you. There's a level of diplomacy that goes into cultivating relations with the press. There are, by the way, some great reporters on the campaign trail out there that you should talk to as a candidate. Josh Dawsey at the Washington Post, Marilyn McGraw at, or Meredith McGraw at, at um, uh, Politico, and, and others out there, uh, Elena Treen at CNN and others. They're good reporters worth talking to on background who can be trusted and are not going to burn you and actually are interested in what's going on. But an overwhelming majority of the reporters covering the political process are not your friends. And the DeSantis team knows that. And I suspect they're smart enough to discern who can be trusted and who can't be trusted. It's just very funny as someone who actually knows the people. Like, for example, um, I, I, I got to be careful how I talk about this because I have insider knowledge of which I'm sworn to secrecy. The story about DeSantis, maybe from Puck News reporters speculating that, you know, there there is this rumor he may not run and this is why it could be credible and blah, 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 blah. Like, I know that's not true. It's not that I, I not that anyone from the DeSantis team has told me he's absolutely running. But I am aware of meetings that have taken place that have not been reported that I can assure you mean he's running. And so for reporters to start speculating about these things, when those meetings are happening, they clearly don't know about these meetings. If they knew about these meetings, they wouldn't risk their credibility. Or talking to the, the sources in Florida about how DeSantis is going to build his campaign and the sources telling stuff that it reads to anyone who knows how to, how to thread the needle on this stuff like, oh, here's a Republican political operative in Florida who didn't get a job with DeSantis and is furious and is now undermining DeSantis's credibility as a you should have hired me sort of um, puffery. There are some campaigns that cooperate better with the press. Uh, the Pence team is a discerning team, and they do have 
long-established relationships with some of the Washington reporters. Haley, as well, by being a UN press secretary, UN press, UN ambassador, has people who I think she knows, particularly in South, who have come out of South Carolina. Tim Scott, of course, is a very nice guy. He's been very nice to the press. It's very notable, however, that Tim Scott no longer does off the top of his head, extemporaneous, spontaneous interviews outside the Senate. Usually what Tim Scott has been known for is he'll walk out the door of the Senate. There'll be reporters waiting there. They'll ask him questions, and he just answers their questions and has a conversation with him. He's that sort of guy. He's not doing that anymore. That's kind of a, a flag that DeSantis, or DeSantis Scott, is going to run for president when he stopped doing that. But with DeSantis in particular, and, and let's just be real here, DeSantis is viewed as the the big alternative to Trump. It may not pan out that way over time. He may make strategic mistakes. Uh, there are lots of other contenders, some of whom hope that DeSantis and Trump beat the snot out of each other, and so they get a moment to shine, which is a fair strategy. That happens. DeSantis, however, is the guy that so many of them are watching. DeSantis is the guy so many of them are paying attention to. And DeSantis is the guy whose team does not talk to the National Press Corps. So when the National Press Corps tells you with authority this is what DeSantis is thinking or doing or about to do, you can be pretty sure it's not true because he doesn't talk to him. His team doesn't talk to him. What happens is outside people do. And I know the way it goes. And oftentimes it's you're you're in the same circle the people, it's kind of funny. I was talking to a reporter last year, and uh, that reporter was asking me for some information, and I told them what I had heard. Well, they knew immediately who I had heard it from because they're like, oh, yeah, you got that from so-and-so because I had talked to him. I said, yeah. And the reporter said, let me let you in on things. I know from the campaign this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I was like, oh, oh, well, I'm glad you told me. I had a good enough relationship with a reporter for the reporter to tell me that. And thankfully, I hadn't conveyed this information to you guys on the radio. Um, the reporter and I had talked before. I, I thought I had a, a great bit of information about a particular campaign that was running. And they're like, nope, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's telling everybody he does and he doesn't. I was like, that's good to know. And subsequently reached out to the campaign. They're like, yep, that guy is not with us anymore. It's like, oh, that hadn't been reported anywhere. These sorts of uh, campaigns trade on gossip. Political insiders love to gossip. They love to sound like they have insider access. And you got to be careful. And when you look at the newspapers, particularly the national press outlets, the national press outlets by reporters who have a history of not being well-liked by Republicans who claim to be Republican insiders or have access to Republican insiders, the odds are they have insiders in Washington, D.C. who are in that wing of the party who hate Trump, everything to come from Trump, and anyone who might sound like Trump, which would include Ron DeSantis. So be very, very careful moving forward with these insidery accounts of what might or might not be happening uh, in these Republican presidential campaigns. Increasingly, Republican campaigns themselves, including some of the ones who do have good press contacts like Pence and Haley, understand that within the Republican Party, there's a penalty that will be priced into their run if they're too buddy-buddy with too many national reporters. And everyone on the right now learned from the campaign of John McCain and Sarah Palin that all those reporters who love the Maverick, love the Maverick, the moment that Maverick became a real contender against the left, they turned on him as quick as they could. Like like the, the orcs in, in Mordor, they turned on John McCain as quick as they possibly could. 
Uh, he became the bad guy all of a sudden. It, it's like what's the order from Star Wars where the stormtroopers turn on the Jedi? That switch flipped the moment John McCain became the Republican nominee, and all those reporters who for all those years loved John McCain, they turned on that man with a ruthlessness you rarely see in politics because they're all about promoting the Democrats. So be very careful when national reporters are singing the praises of certain Republicans. You know they're just trying to shape the field, and then we'll turn on that guy the moment he gets the nomination. One of the groups fighting for the Republicans and against the press and the wokes is Patriot Mobile. It's no no secret the left-wing news outlets have been tearing up Patriot Mobile, just furious with them because they're funding effectively, not just aggressively, but effectively, conservative causes. You can be a part of it by taking your cell phone business to Patriot Mobile at patriotmobile.com slash Eric or calling them 972-PATRIOT. Now, what's the deal here? You can take your existing phone number, go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric or call them at 972-PATRIOT. Just tell them you want to do business with them. You can move your existing phone number to them and the odds are they are already using the exact same cell towers you are already using. So you get guaranteed great service. If you're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a teacher, you got a lot of lines for a lot of kids, you can save money with Patriot Mobile, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, 972-PATRIOT, 100% U.S.-based customer service. They are Christian conservatives. Explicitly, they are Christian conservatives, and they want to do business with you, and then they want to take the profits you help them grow and fund the causes you care about. It's a fantastic concept with fantastic people and a great company with guaranteed great service. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K or 972-PATRIOT. Some dude at the Masters shot 40 and packed up and went home. I'm like, oh, my God. They're like on the par three or something. If I did 40, I would be out there stripping and streaking across the course in celebration and grabbing pimento cheese sandwiches. Goodness gracious. Wow, I, I will never be that guy. I just, I enjoy to play. I'm terrible. I want to go play this afternoon. It's gorgeous outside. But nonetheless, um, okay, on the Alistair Begg, uh, sorry, if you follow me on Twitter at E.W. Erickson, I linked to the short video that I played of Alistair Begg and the Thief on the Cross. But there's a, a, a couple minutes more there. I didn't have time in that segment to play. I have embedded it, though, in my morning email for tomorrow for Good Friday. So if you text DATA to 33777, just click that very first link and you will um, you can sign up paid or free to get the Alistair Begg clip tomorrow. Um, it, it's worth hearing those three plus minutes. So it's I, I you know it's one of those things where I I, it, I know I and there are plenty of other preachers out there like I can't believe I didn't come up with that. It's such a good one. Um, it's it just, he, he said I could come. What's your doctrine of justification? He's like, just a what? <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, speaking of tomorrow, Tim Keller, uh, I interviewed him last year. He, he and he, I'm going to replay that, but my friend Jason Dees at, uh, Christ covenant in Atlanta, Georgia is going to join me. Um, Stephen Gadbury, a uh, father, Stephen Gadbury, word on fire, uh, Catholic ministries, is going to join me, and it's we're going to talk about Good Friday. It's going to be a pause from the hard-hitting politics of the day. I do this every year, much to the chagrin of some, because I think it's really important that on the day that is almost universally acknowledged, even by a lot of atheist historians, to be the most important event in human history. I mean, it, it, and it's always in the top five. There's Alexander conquering 
There's Caesar crossing the Rubicon. There's the rise of the shoguns in Japan, the building of the Great Wall of China, uh, and the execution of random poor dude in Jerusalem in AD 33. That, <laughs> the execution of a guy it makes it into the, the top five, usually is number one in the list, with Alexander conquering the known world and Caesar crossing the Rubicon and the Chinese emperors building the Great Wall of China and random poor dude in Jerusalem getting killed. That's a that's a heck of a thing. But that event has profoundly changed the entire world for 2,000 years. Uh, and there's just no denying it. And so tomorrow, as tradition for 12 years now, that's what we got to focus on. It is the biggest story of all time, and it trumps the news and Donald Trump himself. We'll do that tomorrow, the Good Friday Show. Be with you then. Have a great day.